Hello again and welcome to another episode of Mostly Weather. My name's Neil Robinson and today I'm joined by Doug McNeil. Say hi, Doug. Hi. And Claire Whitten. Hello. So the, our theme for this week is going to be mostly talking about clouds. So I thought I'd kick us off just by asking, what's a cloud? <laughs> we need to start at the beginning, right? So we're talking about things in the atmosphere, things that you can see when you step outside the door. And I mean, they basically boils down to water, doesn't it? We don't have clouds without moisture, without the atmosphere. Um, and a cloud is water. I'm going to leave it there. You know, Doug, over to you. Pick it up. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes with ice in as well. Let's see, water ice, I guess. So, so I didn't think this was obvious until I started thinking about it a bit more. But it's it's liquid water, right? Clouds. Well, yeah. Well, okay, but, it's not but, water. but also, also, yeah. Ice, water, and ice form as well. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But I guess my point is, it's not water vapor. It's it's tempting oh, right, to okay. think. Yeah. It's tempting to think because they're floating about in the sky. Right, that these must be some kind of water vapor, maybe or water gas. But to, to be clear, starting at the beginning here, right, it's lots of little droplets and particles of water and ice that that uh, yeah. That's, that, well, that's the bit you can see. Yeah, I guess you need the water vapor though yeah. to make the cloud in the first place. So yeah. you can't kind of dismiss the vapor part because <laughs> the vapor is really key to forming the water droplets. Also, what's key actually, I've said it's only water, simplifying horribly. Um, we need these things called cloud condensation nuclei. So that's lots of naturally uh, occurring tiny particles, so really small, microscopic even. Um, so that's things like sea salt and dust, maybe pollen, um, things like that. And that's what causes the water vapour to start condensing to create our droplets. Yeah, great. So these are things that we term aerosols, right? So when we talk about aerosols in atmospheric science... We're not talking about aerosol sprays like uh, like you used to might be used to talking about in everyday language. So an aerosol is when you take um, liquid or solid particles and you suspend them in the air. So in effect, an aerosol is what comes out the end of an aerosol can, right? But you have you have naturally occurring aerosols like you like you say, clear like salt in the air. And when these get lofted up, they're they're a site for individual cloud particles to form on, right? I think that's key because to get the droplets to form, you need all these uh, molecules basically of water to be joining together. And actually yeah. in the atmosphere, they don't bang into each other very much. So you need something to start them off that kind of they stick to basically. Yeah, absolutely. And then as these uh, cloud condensation nuclei, they, they grow and your droplets start to form, you then need that to be interacting with more molecules of water vapour, but also then the droplets can start to bang together and to coalesce and you get bigger droplets and that's how you sort of get these clouds getting bigger and generating and, and growing. So so what's the difference between a cloud droplet and a rain droplet? Is, is there a, is, I, well, Claire, you're, you're probably better than Is a rain droplet just a, a bunch of cloud droplets? Is it, so, you, you know, is it just, it, it just uh, overcomes gravity and falls? Yeah, isn't it just a really big cloud droplet? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think so. I think so, yeah. I mean, they, they have to grow fairly exponentially to get to that size. And then at a certain point, they're big enough to, to they just rain out, out, precipitate, yeah. 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 Okay, so we've talked a little bit about how cloud droplets are formed, but in a sort of more macroscopic sense, how, how are clouds formed? There's a few different processes, isn't there, about how we can make a cloud in the atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, what we've got to do is we've got to take some air with water vapour in it, like Claire said. And we've got to do something to make that water vapour decide it would rather be water, liquid water now, right? So I guess we're, we're cooling it down, right? That's yeah. the, the first thing we do is cooling it down, lifting a mass of air upwards okay. and cooling it down. So how, how, how do we lift a mass of air upwards? Well, so one of them is just naturally 
buoyant effects. So the ground gets warm and it reflects radiation and that causes the air to warm up and warmer air starts to rise and then it goes through the atmosphere. It starts. So we've talked about this before, I think. So this is termed convection, right? And this is the same stuff that makes a hot air balloon rise up, okay? Yeah, so, exactly. yeah, so these are, this is how you get what we call convective clouds. So they're like, for instance, the sort of fluffy cumulus clouds that you might see, the ones that look a bit like cotton wool. And that's from all this warm, moist air bubbling up and then condensing to clouds. So what about other ways of making clothes? I, I just, uh, I, before you, before you yeah. leave that, I just remember I, I was lucky enough to go to, um, you know, we don't see those very often in the UK, do we? There's, there's, well, maybe we do, but not quite as much as uh, when I went to uh, Korea. Uh, yeah. It was an amazing trip. We went to Korea and it's a really hot, humid day. And we're landing on the plane and everywhere you can see these convective clouds forming and they're bubbling up. And, and uh, I thought, well, that's interesting. And then... And then, of course, we're gonna get, 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 get the turbulence of the plane. It's like, oh, right, okay, that's uh, that's that, that's a bit thing. scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, our cumulus clouds tend to be a little bit Mickey Mouse compared to the ones you get in the tropics. So well, these they? are amazing. There are sort of big pillars of clouds. Yeah. And, and, so, so I've seen the same thing in um, in Borneo and Brazil and places like this. And and you know the corresponding volume of rain you get out of these clouds afterwards is also much bigger. I mean, these convective clouds can be so tall that they punch through the, the top of the troposphere, you know, and start pushing into the stratosphere. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's huge. And so this is why you get, a, they call them the anvil, don't they? So when you, get, um, when you get big cumulonimbus, huge convective clouds that reach the top of the troposphere, they start to spread out yeah. as they hit the tropopause. And that starts to look like a, well, the, the analogy is like a blacksmith's anvil. Yeah. You know, it's got this sort of, I guess, a bit like a T-shape on the top. And that's because it's hit this layer at the top of the bottom of the atmosphere. <laughs> top of the bottom of the atmosphere. You know what I mean? The top <laughs> of the bottom layer of the yeah. atmosphere. And that causes them to spread out. So in Korea, do those clouds form at certain times of the day? Because I've been in Indonesia and you've always got these big storm uh, thunder clouds forming at about sort of three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, and then was, it yeah. absolutely chucks it down for about an hour. Yeah. More torrential than anything you ever see in the UK. And then it stops and you yeah, go outside and it's just a little bit damp. <laughs> <laughs> it, was an, it was really hot and humid. It was, uh, yeah, sort of uh, early afternoon, I guess. And, and you, could, there, there were, um, you could tell that perhaps more were going to come later. Um, um, but they were, yeah, it was pretty rough, pretty I mean, rough the, as you hit the top of the... The way convection works, as we've said, is you heat up the bottom of the atmosphere. So you heat up the ground yeah. and that causes the atmosphere to start to turn over and, and bubble up. So this is why it's three in the afternoon, right? Because yeah, that's yeah. just when, sort of warm, just yeah. after the hottest yeah. Day, yeah. part of the day. Yeah. So what about other ways of making clouds then, apart from convection, convective clouds? Uh, so I, I always see clouds in the mountains. Yeah. Uh, I exactly. spend a lot of time in North Wales and various other parts of the mountains and, uh, uh, and I guess you're getting uh, getting lifting over over the relief there, aren't you? Yeah, right. So they call this orographic uplift, orographic clouds. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. So how? I mean, run us through how that works then. Well, it's pretty simple. You've got a big mountain, and you've got a whole air mass coming towards it. And mountain and air mass can't occupy the same space. No. <laughs> uh, mountains unlikely to move, so air mass has to move. Uh, so yeah, you you have. The air's blowing towards the mountain. It's then forced up and over the mountain. So it's forced because it's, it's moving laterally, right? And that forces it up the mountain. And as we all know, it's colder on the top of mountains. Yeah, and so as the air rises, it then cools. Uh, and as it's cooling, as we've already said, the water starts to condense. And that's why you start to get then these clouds formed, uh, certainly on the leading edge of these mountain ranges. And then often you get 
a lot of precipitation there, so you can often get these sort of rain shadows. Yeah, so just next to Exeter, we've got a, a moor called Dartmoor, which is which is raised a bit, well, quite a bit higher than Exeter is, and we all know, all the locals here know that it's much, much wetter on Dartmoor <laughs> than it tends to be in Exeter, which is sort of downwind of Dartmoor normally. So maybe we'll come, but maybe this, we can set this as a listener question. I, I don't think it's obvious necessarily why it's colder on the top of mountains than on the bottom of mountains. This is actually a much harder question than it first appears. Yeah, that's a good point. So maybe we shouldn't get maybe we shouldn't get into it this episode, but we can do it at some point. <laughs> we'll come back to that. It's one. quite interesting. Okay, so there's a there's a third very common way of making clouds, which is so the, the third one is is weather fronts. Yeah. Okay, so when you've got a weather front, effectively what happens, I guess, is you have two different blocks of air which, for want of a better word, rub up against each other and one starts to overtake the other and gets lifted over it. And as it it's gets, a similar process, isn't it? But it's basically orographic uplift, yeah. but instead of using orography... Air density yeah. rather than... Yeah. Exactly. So it's uplift of an air mass by pushing it over a different air mass. So yeah, it's a very similar effect. But that's where we start to get all of these amazing different types of clouds, isn't it? Because depending on where you are between the fronts or if it's a cold front or a warm front, you're going to get real different types of clouds forming. Yeah, there's so many different sort of, those are like the main effects, right? But there's so many different competing effects and, and sort of minor effects that go into making these clouds. We get tons of different types of clouds. Can you, can you think of any other ways? Those are the three like big players in making clouds, but I can, I can think of more ways of making clouds, actually. Oh, no, you've been doing this for ages. Come on, <laughs> tell me. I, I can think of a couple. So, so, uh, so before, before we give Neil all the glory. I'm going to claim newbie status here. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, Claire, what have we got? So, so I've got, I can think of two. So uh, one is clouds called pyrocumulus clouds. Oh, nice. Which are formed where, often where you get sort of big forest fires and things like that. And so you're getting a lot of extra buoyancy effects there. Um, the air's rising, and if you've got a moist air mass, you can almost sort of trigger real convection. So the air is rising because it's really hot, because it's, it's coming really out of fire. Hot, you're burning all this stuff. <laughs> then you've also got a lot of you know aerosol and yeah. smoke and things coming off it, so you're creating a lot more. I love the name. Pyrocumulus is such an excellent name for it's a brilliant. cloud. I love them. They're my favourite cloud, I think. I bought, <laughs> up, I bought it up in a talk once, and people thought I'd made the term off, and I had to explain, no, no, pyrocumulus really is a recognised you, you wish you'd cloud. made up that yeah. term. <laughs> Any other types then? You said you had a couple. Yeah, well, the other one is, is sort of similar, but uh, they're human, uh, so anthropogenic um, formed, really, which is over power stations, for example, where you get these big kind of plumes of cooling water mm. and things like that. And I have actually brought along uh, a picture because it just made me laugh so much. So I've had it under wraps. So this is the pig with six legs cloud, oh, wow. which I don't know. Doug, do you want to describe to the? So, uh, so, so it looks like we've got a very still day. It looks like it's England. A photograph of a power station in the distance with um, with some of the cooling towers, and uh, the six cooling towers. And out of these cooling towers is coming this beautiful cloud, <laughs> and it's and it's a pig. It looks just like a pig. That's fantastic. Um, so this is um, a pig with six legs and other clouds. Um, from the Cloud Appreciation Society, which sounds lovely, doesn't it? <laughs> Edited by Gavin Pretor Pinney, I, I believe. Um, so yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a good uh, that's a lovely picture. I, I wonder if hopefully our listeners will be able to maybe Google pig with six legs and it will pop up. So we refer to these as smokestacks often, don't we? But they're not necessarily smoke. Are no, they? this is just water. Yeah. So, so there's also effects um, along those same lines, downwind of, um, so there's a famous study I read about with paper mills, 
where, in effect, really, effect, really good cloud condensation nuclei, these, these are aerosol particles that the droplets form on, that we were talking about before, they get released from, this, from the, the exhaust chimney. And then a cloud forms actually downwind of, the, uh, of this chimney where it mixes with the water vapour it needs. So it's a similar idea, apart from the water vapour is not coming out the chimney as well in those cases. Coming back to the anthropogenic yeah. or human-caused, I did think of one. Uh, there are some studies, I believe, where um, clouds have been shown to form due to contrails. Yeah. Due to oh, yeah. aircraft, mm-hmm. which uh, I believe one of one of the scientists um, who used to work at the Hadley Centre actually had a paper um, looking at the climate effect of that. Maybe we'll come to the climate effect yeah. of clouds later. And there's a significant climate effect of, of these contrail induced. So what, what are contrails actually made of, right? Yeah, well, they're, they're just water vapor, aren't they? Okay, I mean, so I mean, they're, water ice vapor, they're, they're water and ice crystals, right? So, so, um, so, so it's like a seed cloud that 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 creates. Uh, so arguably, arguably, yeah, just an anthropogenic cloud, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So there's one more type which we haven't mentioned yet, which I can think of, and this has been in the news quite a bit as we're recording this podcast. There's a hint, guys. Uh, mm. Now you're going to make. Me uh, I, I don't watch the news. The news. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's fog? Oh, interesting. It's from yeah. a cloud, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to step out of this one. I can't see any good reason why fog's not a cloud. It was just condensed water vapour, you know, and some other assorted stuff, but that's mainly mostly what yeah. it is. It's just hanging around because it's not windy? I mean, uh, so, so <laughs> I think hanging out. <laughs> fog tends to be created, you know, in essence, because you're taking moist air and you're moving it over a cold surface, yeah. you know, so... so you know, we get fogs in the, fog in the morning here because there's been radiative cooling of the ground at night and that um, that's, not been, that's not been sort of broken up by strong sunlight during the day. So, you know, if you've got weak sunlight, then the fog sticks about, I think. But, so uh, does, does fog have a Latin name then? I don't know if we're going to get to this, but, you know, clouds have this Latin-based naming convention. So, I'm, you know, I'm still on the fence about <laughs> fog, I've got to be honest. <laughs> I, d- I don't actually know. We should look that up. We definitely look that, that up. So, so let's Are there about... wrong types of fog? Is that, you know... <laughs> let's talk about the Latin names then. So I presume people at home have heard this sort of Latin naming system for clouds. So we talk about stratocumulus or cumulonimbus or or even pyrocumulus right isn't mm-hmm. that latin as well so who came up with all these names i've got this but we're all looking at duck <laughs> luke howard yes bravo is that right although i i, I know very little about him i haven't i so haven't the, looked him up so it's, this it's, is the kind of stuff that you have to learn off name of clouds when you join the meth office right you yeah, go through yeah, the, yeah. Uh, i i failed in my <laughs> in my mission to become part of the meth so, so luke harrow was an amateur meteorologist which is rather good well there's so much so much good science has been done by amateurs really absolute meteorology and astronomy and the, the, there are certain branches of science i think which really lend itself towards Amateurs and, and yeah, this is great. Yeah, yeah. He was a pharmacist, wasn't he? Not yeah, that's right. Yeah, not meteorologist at all. So this was in 1803, right? He published his book called "The Modifications of Clouds." It's rather yeah, based you know, on a talk he gave in December 1802. All right, there we go. Yeah, you see, I've been all right, doing all right, my research all right. this week. <laughs> <laughs> you guys need to be telling me this stuff because you know I don't know this stuff. So yeah. So yeah, I believe there was a French guy whose name I can't remember, I guess that says it all, doesn't it? Who did it at the same time. Oh, really? <laughs> but, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but for some reason, his, his naming system didn't take hold. I think it was literally the same year. Um, so Luke Howard's is now the sort of internationally recognised one. Um, but 
I think I'm right in saying that these names, you know, we have different classifications for all these clouds, right? But actually, in reality, it's never, reality is never as simple as that, right? So the, you know, it's great in principle to know what these different cloud types are, but actually clouds tend to be often a mixture of two different types, so it's quite hard to classify and things like this. But but they're a good sort of model, aren't they, for all the different types of cloud we can have from different effects. That's it. And I think one of the key things Luke Howard actually recognised was that clouds are quite um, ephemeral, they're quite transient, they change from one thing to another, and actually that was one of the fundamental tenants, if you like, of his system, was that it's not just one thing or another, they, these transition between the two, and which is a bit different from classifications for, you know, like animal species or plant species, where you're yeah. definitely, you're, you're one thing and you only sit in that category and you never change. That's interesting. Yeah, I knew that he reckoned that his kind of system was the starting point for really understanding how these clouds, you know, behaved and evolved and that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, really the kind of beginnings of you know well a revolution in meteorology i guess actually naming things writing down yeah. their characteristics that you know that's a, a, an amazing start isn't it if you're going to do science you need to do that at some point yeah <laughs> so what about more exotic clouds that people haven't heard of before there's some you can get some really rare cool types of clouds that are worth actually at home and maybe we'll put some links on the website but uh going to look at some photos of these things because there's some really beautiful clouds that, that you can see if you're lucky I've seen, I've seen some of the, um, is it um, Helmholtz wave clouds? Is that right? Um, which which ha- have this kind of perfect wave structure over mountains. But um, They're incredible. Yeah. I saw some of those from the train actually coming back from London. Yeah. If you imagine um, something like a, if, if you were to take a surfing logo, for example, yeah. <laughs> like a, and, and okay. a long train of these, a long train of these perfect tube Waves. If you're thinking in uh, in a surfing analogy, Doug's a surfer know. for those. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, so so they're literally curved all the almost all the way around. You know, almost full 360. And there's a train of those that are set over. So the very very neat. You know, you know, and, uh, absolutely perfect. That's right. Yeah. yeah. What about? Um, has anybody heard of night shining clouds? No, I don't know that one. Noctilucent. Oh no. Okay, noctilucent. I know that term, of course. <laughs> yeah, so obviously right. you don't speak. So really super super high clouds. Is that right? And they catch the last rays of the sun yeah so i mean these are ridiculously high clouds like 80 kilometers high in the atmosphere okay so, so it's kind of getting out towards the edge of the atmosphere that's the mesosphere yeah. you know it's extremely unusual all the other clouds basically that well most of the other clouds we see are all in the troposphere so that's this lowest part of the atmosphere i was talking about before but you know these are significantly higher clouds and as doug says the interesting thing is they're so high that the sun that's set over the horizon from where you are can actually illuminate them and even though it's nighttime where you are you have these clouds that are brightly lit in the sky and they, you know this beautiful sight you know it's worth googling uh, pictures not for the clouds it would be, be nice to know uh, what kind of atmospheric conditions they form under is it to do with the troposphere or is it just to do with this really high atmosphere maybe we should maybe yeah. we should look, look I this was up. having a look actually and there seems to be all sorts of theories mm. and it doesn't seem to be quite well constrained what oh, they is that are right? you know, okay, various so things some suggesting it could be to do with you know um the, the exhaust, if you like, from the space station. Wow. Not sure about that one yeah. through to have they actually only existed since the Industrial Revolution. That's interesting. So potentially they are, again, another form of anthropogenic cloud. I mean, through to, you know, are they some naturally occurring? Yeah, yeah. Or? But I mean, they must be rare because we don't see them very often. Do we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, they're all, rare. So. I mean, the thing is, there's no water. Well, <laughs> I mean, clearly there is water. Yeah. But there's, there's basically, tiny amount, basically there's no water in that part of the atmosphere. So to get those clouds, you, you somehow need to get the water there. 
So you can either do that, like Claire says, by introducing it artificially from uh, a space, space station. station. Yeah. Which or, is what, two, 250 kilometres? I don't know. Yeah, I, I wasn't convinced by that one. I like it as a sort of a, you know, yeah. wow, that's, that's kind of cool, but I'm not sure scientifically it stands up <laughs> I think I suppose the other way is probably through chemical reactions or something you know if there's a chemical yeah, reaction yeah. which creates yeah, water up there but I don't know for a fact I haven't read about them so there's one more type of cloud that I thought was really interesting called polar stratospheric clouds does anybody know anything about PSCs so they're these beautiful sort of mother of pearl iridescent clouds that you get over the poles and these are really important for well, importance may be too positive a word, but they're, they're a big part of the chemical reaction that um, makes holes in the ozone layer. Yeah, okay. So they, they act as the kind of, the cloud particles act as the sites for chemical reactions to take place, which deplete the ozone. So they catalyze this, this chemical reaction that eats up all the ozone, in effect. But despite sort of having this catastrophic effect, they look absolutely they're beautiful. They're gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, like I say, they're sort of iridescent in different colours and, uh, yeah, really beautiful. Well, this seems like a good opportunity to open the sturdy door of the Met Office archive and hand over to Catherine Ross and find out what interesting facts she's got for us this week. OK, so the National Meteorological Archive has a huge collection of cloud photographs, perhaps unsurprisingly, and many of them date to the early days of photography. One of our most important collections consists of aerial photographs of clouds which were taken by the meteorologist and keen photographer Charles John Philip Cave. Yes, that's a long name. Cave worked on research into the upper atmosphere using first pilot balloons. That's when people actually got into balloons and went up into the upper atmosphere. And then the very early days of aeroplanes. And he played a crucial role in developing the work of the meteorological reconnaissance flight during the First World War. The reconnaissance flights provided information on conditions in the upper atmosphere to the artillery regiments on the Western Front in order to assist with their use of high-angled fire, which was developed throughout the war. And they also provided a meteorological advice to the fledgling Royal Flying Corps, which then became the RAF. Um, that advice was especially important when it came to the presence of certain clouds, particularly chemo-nimbus clouds, which can be lethal to an early aircraft. Mm. They're still very dangerous to aircraft today. Uh, the images taken by Cave, which we hold in the archive, are often surprisingly good quality considering the period they're from. Um, and that's made all the more impressive when you build in that they were taken on bulky equipment, complex equipment for that matter, and from the open cockpits of biplanes with little or no protection from the freezing temperatures they were experiencing at the time. They're also very important as they're among the earliest aerial photographs in existence. Uh, in fact, one of them that we have taken on the 15th of September 1915 is thought to be one of the earliest surviving photographs ever taken from an aeroplane over the British Isles. So there's one last thing to talk about before we wrap up, maybe, and that's how clouds affect climate and climate change. So the, the way these clouds have formed have got implications for sort of the, the heat balance of the Earth system, right? That's, that's right, Neil. So, so my work is in, in climate, and uh, I'm a statistician by training, and I think about uncertainty uh, in climate and uncertainty in the future. And, I, and it's really interesting that, um, that clouds actually turn out to be one of the most important uncertainties um, in our models of climate change. So, so we've got a really good idea about um, a lot of the processes, but the, a few last remaining uncertainties... Um, um, and, and yeah, unfortunately, uncertainty is not your friend here, I guess. So if we're talking about uncertainty about future climate change, we're talking about uncertainty in terms of whether it's going to be bad or really bad, not whether it exists or not. So yeah, yeah, that so kind well, of uncertainty. 
how do clouds then influence climate change? So, so there's something. So, so back to basics. There, there, there's something called the the cloud feedback effect, right? Okay. And, and what that means, if you take if you take carbon dioxide, for example, and put it in the atmosphere, that creates a warming. But that has effects on the planet, which can which can also create a further warming, right? So, yeah. so you put carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, um, and that can alter some of the way that that uh, clouds behave, and they might enhance or or not uh, um, global warming. Uh, but it looks like I think um, pretty much the consensus is that uh, that the way that clouds will uh, change in the future will make global warming worse. So, so there's two different effects, right? So presumably, as you heat up the atmosphere, you might expect more water vapor to be to to evaporate, right? Or more water. Yeah. To evaporate. So a warm atmosphere holds more water, and so we get more clouds. Well, it depends. The problem is, it depends on on the uh, on the on the location of the clouds and the altitude of the clouds as well. So, primarily on the altitude. So, for example, if you were to create more high clouds, then you then you make global warming even worse. Why is that? Um, because they they act like a blanket and they keep in heat heat essentially. That's yeah. So 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 when the when the ground gets heated up, right, it um, emits that heat, re-emits it as radiation, as infrared infrared radiation back into the atmosphere. Yeah, and, and then it, the clouds stop that getting away. exactly. So if the clouds are there, right, high up in the atmosphere, they tend to keep this infrared radiation from going back into space. That's right. But yeah. but low clouds, if you get more low clouds, then they just reflect more radiation back into space. Yeah, so that's because they're white. That's they're because white, they're, they're, they're fluffy and white, fluffy and, and, white. And, and they're really good at reflecting uh, that, that uh, energy back into space. So, so um, this cloud feedback is going to depend on the, on the various ways that low cloud and high cloud alter in the future. Yeah. So, so yeah, white clouds basically they reflect the sunlight back into space. Yeah. The, the short wave radiation. Yeah. So there's this difference between the short wave radiation sunlight, essentially, that's being reflected, and the long wave radiation, like the heat radiation, um, that's being kept in by the high cloud. And that's cloud. the heat that's being generated by the Earth, just being the Earth. Yeah, having yeah. been warmed primarily by the, you know, by the short wave radiation in the first. So we talked earlier about how we need particles to form these um, droplets on. And that's actually one of the other sources of uncertainty, isn't it? Depending on how we might change the balance of these particles in the atmosphere and what particles' properties are, we change the properties of the clouds to, to imp- impact the, the climate. So, for instance, if you have if any cloud has more particles in it, it means that the, the droplets get spread over more particles and they're smaller, and smaller particles in a cloud make a cloud whiter, which reflects more stuff into space, which is the same reason that, like, salt uh, looks white compared to a jar of marbles, right? Because they're smaller. You know, salt's just as transparent as marbles are, but if you make them really small, or marble dust, you can go smash your marbles up and it'll be white, right? It'll be white, yeah, yeah. It's the same effect, okay, you know? I didn't know that. That's yeah, yeah. Thanks, Neil. Okay, so so you've got so you've not only got this interaction with global warming and the clouds, but then even you've got even more uncertainty yeah. because of you. So so I guess there's a difference. The the uncertainties that you're talking about, there's the uncertainty I guess that I was talking about with the cloud feedbacks is kind of internal to the Earth system, yeah. as in what it does within itself. And the uncertainty that you're talking about with the aerosols, there is some of that, but also with the amount of aerosols and the type of aerosols that we as humans but, are putting into the atmosphere. But what's yeah. so fascinating is that you can actually connect that um, aerosol cycle, and, and to a certain extent the water cycle, into the biosphere. Right. So, so if we change yeah, of the course, because they're naturally occurring aerosols. Well, right? there are plenty of naturally yeah. occurring aerosols. So in the future, if we change the environment, 
you know, as you said, it'll make more or less water vapour in the atmosphere, but maybe it'll change the way plants grow, which changes the way aerosols form, which changes the way clouds are affected, which changes the biosphere. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. it gets really complicated when you start looking at this interconnected global Earth system. So I, I think, um, you know, we have some, some great Earth system models here at the, at the Hadley Centre, for example, builds these big models. I think one of, the, one of the problems, one of the things that we would like to know is those, the, the interactions of those really tiny um, physical processes mm. that, you, that you're talking about, uh, Neil, um, with the really large-scale processes forming typhoons and forming these huge fronts really and things like that. So yeah, absolutely. So you're trying to trying to get the compute the computer to work out what's going on at the microscopic scale and the scale of a, you know, an entire cloud, and th- and that's really challenging. But I guess uh, that's that's why we're doing things like buying new super- supercomputers. So I've got. Before we wrap up, I had a fascinating fact I wanted to tell you about, and that was to do with glaciation of clouds. So when you turn bits of a cloud into icy bits of a cloud, right? Okay. So what's the freezing temperature of water? Oh, hang on a minute. Oh, this is a trick question. <laughs> it is a trick question, clearly, right? <laughs> it's definitely, definitely. Is there a, you know, a big horn going to go off? Zero degrees C. Yeah, calm. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll be Alan Davis here. So it's actually minus forty degrees. Uh, hang on a second. Okay, like I'd like to, I'd like an explanation. Would you like to know whether that's centigrade or Fahrenheit? Yes. It doesn't matter because they're oh, the same. Well, they oh, do. Yeah, that's, that's the lovely. first fascinating fact. The second fascinating fact is clean water freezes at about minus forty degrees, and dirty water freezes at around. Well, are we back to condensation nuclei? Well, to a certain extent, we're back to sort of. Ice nuclei, right? So, so if you have something, depending on what the something is, for your ice to form on, it can form at higher temperatures than minus 40 degrees. And actually different things can be rather good at this. So, um, you mentioned there earlier, Claire, things like, um, biological nuclei, like even pollen and things like this can act really effectively to, to create these ice crystals. And then they talk about these things called ice multiplication processes. So once you've got one, one ice crystal, they think this can lead on to seeding other ice crystals. So one way this might work, for instance, is if you've got an ice crystal that forms very fast and then shatters, all those little shards are really good ice nuclei now. Okay. So they all kind of float off into the rest of the cloud. And, and what, you, what you tend to see in practice, I think, is once the ice process starts in one part of the cloud, the cloud glaciates. And you can see it sort of propagate through the cloud until the whole cloud becomes an icy cloud rather than a... Watery cloud. Oh, that's brilliant. So, so what, what's going to happen to that cloud uh, as an icy cloud as opposed to a watery cloud? Is there differences in the properties? So there, there are different types of cloud that behave in different ways, but they're still what we would just regard as clouds from the ground, right? Okay. So actually, higher clouds and clouds in the really coldest part of the atmosphere, funnily enough, often tend to be icy clouds, right? So cirrus clouds are the classic example. You know, these very, very high, wispy clouds in the atmosphere. So these are all ice crystals that that, uh, that make up cirrus clouds. So cirrus, coming back to Luke Donald, not Luke Donald, Luke Howard. Who's Luke Donald? (laughs) (laughs) So cirrus, coming back to Luke Howard, that's one of the terms he invented, right? Yeah, right. What does cirrus actually mean? Do you know? Does anybody know this? No, I don't I got know that. Going to tell me. I've got this, I've got this, okay. <laughs> so cirrus uh, is really the Latin word for fibre or hair. Oh, so when you're talking about these like really wispy. thin, wispy things, yeah. that's where the word comes from. Cool. Well, that's yeah, that makes sense. That makes loads of sense. Shall I, shall I fill you in on a couple of others yeah. Go on, do while it. I'm on a roll? So um, cumulus, which is sort of more like these fluffy ones that we've been talking about, or these 
big convective ones, comes from Latin word for heap or for pile. So, so that's like accumulate, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Pile of cloud. Pile of cloud, heaps of cloud. And then um, stratus or stratus, I'm not sure, you know, it depends on your Latin pronunciation, um, means layer or sheet. So that's often what we get, these really thick, low-lying clouds, which just kind of make the whole day grey. Yeah. They're real thick layers of stratus. You seem to specialise in those in, uh, <laughs> yeah, in, in the, the UK. So, so they're all based on words that kind of have some real tangible meaning. So, you know, alto cirrus, which might be some of the ones you've just referring to. Yeah. Alto means high. It's People high, that okay. sing will know that term. So all of these words, you know, you can trace them through when you hear a cloud name. And it's should, just... we, should we be looking to actually just translate those into sort of modern English and, 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 and make it easier for people to then spot clouds? That would be cool, wouldn't it? Or, yeah, we're, we're, I'd look at that pile of clouds over there. That would be much easier to remember. <laughs> Surely I've got no problem with that. Yeah. One, of, one of my favourite types of cloud is cumulocongestus which presumably is like congestion, it you know. Cold. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> so cumulocongestus are these big cumulus clouds that sort of, well, they like cumulus clouds, but just a bit bigger, basically. <laughs> and um, yeah, they, look, they tend to look rather dramatic. Yeah, we have to link to a bunch of good photos, or maybe viewers can start tweeting photos at us of their favourite uh, examples of these clouds. That'd be good. That'd be great. Can I throw in one more random uh, ancient word, which I think in the uh, the course of this podcast we've all you know shown that we're aware of this, which is nephology. Do you know what that means? No. It's the study of clouds. So oh. nephos is Greek for cloud. So I think we can all class ourselves now as nephologists. I might have created that word. Maybe <laughs> neph enthusiasts. Neph enthusiasts. Yeah. Or neph newbies. Neph newbies. <laughs> One of those. I like that. I think that's quite a good word. I've never heard that word before. And that's about all we've got time for this week. So we hope you all enjoyed it. And if you did, we'd massively appreciate if you left us a review below. And uh, if you didn't, we'd massively appreciate any feedback and tips. So also, if you've got any questions to ask us or ideas for episode themes, or even if you just want to tell us what we got wrong, then you can email us at mostlyweather at metoffice.gov.uk. So thanks very much for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye.